Hey, have you heard about our all-new free PDF that you can download? It's called Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. And if you're a couple that has done the date nights and attended the relationship retreats and learned the communication skills, read the latest books on marriage, but you still find yourself stuck in a loop of pain and frustration, then this PDF is for you. If one moment everything is fine and the next moment everything feels crazy and that is familiar, I encourage you to go to restoringthesoul.com, scroll down, fill in your email, and get the free copy of our all-new PDF, Five Ways Unresolved Trauma May Be Derailing Your Relationship. You're going to find it very helpful. Most people feel like they read this and they wonder if we've been reading their mail. They say, this is us. It's going to be of help. Check it out now at restoringthesoul.com. If you try to do the Ten Commandments, you will never do them. But if you try to become the kind of person who does them, there's some hope. Hmm. You have to change the inner conditions of behavior if you want to change the behavior. The failure of the Pharisee is to just try to do the behavior. Hmm. And as Jesus said, the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. And that's because they they want to behave, but they can't. And that's all they know. Yeah. And so the only recourse then is to fake it somehow. You're listening to Restoring the Soul with Michael John Cusick. Welcome to Restoring the Soul. I'm Michael John Cusick. Today's conversation is the second of a two-part conversation with Dallas Willard, that took place at the Theological and Cultural Thinkers Conference in Los Angeles during 2008. It was at this conference, just before Dallas began the first of several keynote talks, where he asked the audience of about 60 men and women to indulge him for a moment as he shared about a growing concern of his. The issue was pornography and the alarming rate at which it was becoming a problem in the church. Dallas had written an academic paper of sorts that he distributed to the group in front of him. He asked each person to read it and then offer feedback. With his bold conviction that the gospel could transform the deepest and most broken part of a person's soul, he spoke words that I'll never forget. If the discipleship and spiritual formation that we're talking about here, said Willard, if that cannot touch this issue of pornography— then let's close our notebooks and go home now. The truth is that the moment I heard Dallas make that statement, I committed in my heart to write a book that told the story of my sexual brokenness and how the gospel had profoundly set me free. So in a very real way, the interview that you're about to hear was the inspiration for my book, Surfing for God. So without any further delay, let's listen to part two of my conversation with Dallas Willard on Restoring the Soul. You've said that solitude is the most radical of the disciplines. Yeah. Why, why is it the most radical? It breaks the hold of the world over you. And it puts in abeyance all of the things that pull you and distract you and divert you and compliment you and things like I am important because I'm busy and so forth. They, 
they go into suspension. Solitude is basically where you go alone and do nothing. Where should someone start if they want to develop a life of solitude? Well, it, this comes down to practicalities, and I think the best thing is to, with all disciplines, you don't want to be heroic. You want to go easy. And I would recommend if you have a room that is quiet and comfortable, just try going in and sitting in a chair for a couple of hours and be silent. Starting with a couple of hours? Yeah. See how it does. Don't start with three days. Uh-huh. Um, now, actually, there are some places that are set up where if you go for a weekend retreat, uh, they know how to deal with you. And they give you an opportunity to participate in the community or eat with the folks or not. And they look out after you. And that's important because, you know, when, uh, when er uh, hermetic uh, monasticism started in Egypt and Syria, a lot of people just died. They went crazy. And so uh, Pacomius is the one who said, <laughs> we have to learn how to be alone together. Hmm. And so that's where Cenobitic mon monasticism is. Basically, they each had their little dwelling place, but they could check on one another. Mm -hmm. And uh, you need help going into this. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people do go crazy on it, frankly. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's why we need community, and we need to practice a range of disciplines, not just one or two of them. We don't go crazy on fasting or crazy on solitude or whatever. But we also worship, and we have fellowship, we study, we serve. And those, those are good things, but they're also disciplines, and they help us keep our sanity. Mm -hmm. And sanity is one condition of holiness. Say more about that. <laughs> that intrigues me. I'm, I'm also a counselor, so I'm really intrigued by that. Well, holiness is a kind of overall health under God. Uh, that's that's uh, basic meaning, as you probably know, is that uh, it is uh, to be holy is to be set apart unto God. So now when we do that, we take our whole life with us. And sanity does mean, among other things, that we just um, have a, a, a just regard of everything that we are concerned with, our family, our body, uh, our health, and as well as God and the angels and the Word of God and, and uh, works of power and character transformation. All of that's, you never, there, there was a lot of wisdom in the old guys and gals who went into the desert. Uh, for example, one thing was they would always break a fast if someone came to visit them. Hmm. So this whole relationship is yeah, more important than... Yeah, absolutely right. That, you know, you can always fast again, but here comes this person now. You not only prepare food for them, but you eat with them. And that's a, that's a very healthy kind of thing. Benedictines are, uh, are perhaps most famous for their work. They work in the fields. They, they serve one another. And, Work is a very important part of a holy life. So uh, you're not saying this, but I'm hearing that uh, there's there's a relationship and 
almost as if wholeness and holiness are synonymous. Well, holiness in the sense of being separated unto God inevitably makes you whole with a W. Would it also be true to say that it would be very difficult, if not impossible, to be holy without being no, holy? Oh, yes. Yeah, no, if you're I just living in your brokenness. I think it is. Okay. Yes, I think that's true. And so we have to have an eye to wholeness. What yeah. is wholeness? That's a word that's thrown around a it, lot. Yeah, it means that all of the aspects of the self function harmoniously together to provide a life of a good person doing good under God. So body, soul, mind, spirit, all yeah, of those different parts. Right. Okay. And of course, probably no one achieves perfect holiness. It's a matter of approximating it. But you can, right. you can easily watch people who get off balance and go nuts. And that's so common. Mm-hmm. In, and uh, we see it, we talk about it in the cults, but actually the seeds of it are in many of our churches. Mm-hmm. So going in one direction over the other. Well, and omitting what is essential. You know, um, taking some... A powerful manifestation of something and focusing it all on that okay. and then and then neglecting other parts and that nearly always leads to some sort of malfeasance with money or sex or power or something of that sort mm. you see that over and over and it's really tragic mm. but it's because life is out of balance mm. I want to ask a question that is uh, intentionally very very broad uh, but it kind of seems to flow from what we've been talking about uh, again, all of your writings have focused on the transformational aspect of being a follower of Jesus as opposed to just a convert who is assured of heavenly salvation. How do people change? How do people... Uh, what's, your, what's your synopsis of how people go from entering a life with Jesus to being transformed? Well, this is where the VIM thing comes in. That okay. attempts to capture V-I-M. the process, the vision is the V, vision of what is real and what is good. Um, intention is the resolve to realize the vision. And it involves, of course, decision. But if you don't have the vision right, your decision and intention will be wavering and vacillating, and it won't have its proper effect. What we really have in in most uh, of our Christian situations is people, for example, who have never intended to do what Jesus said. That's not what, that was not a part of the deal. Their deficiency, their vision, now the vision was, I'm a sinner, Christ suffered my consequences, God will let me in heaven. It's a very thin vision. Questions like, would you like it if you got there, don't come up. It's not a kingdom vision. No, it's not. And uh, the vision of God now, having a kingdom, inviting us to be a part of it by following Christ in everything that we do, um, that's where then you go to means. What are the means of this? Well, you mentioned there's God's side, there's the Word, the Spirit, the angels, the fellowship of believers, all kinds of things like that. And then there's our side, which is, among other things, to decide to do what Jesus said, uh, trust him, 
learn how to live in the kingdom of God. And then that involves things um, that we do to enable ourselves to do what we can't do by direct effort. Those are disciplines or means. Hmm. And things like scripture memorization, fasting, and so right. on are designed to do that. It seems as if um, in my line of ministry to broken Christian leaders that I encounter a lot of people that are so broken, either by virtue of their own sin or having been sinned against or mm -hmm. wounded, yes. that their vision is crushed and they, no. they can't even see in front of them. Yeah. Where do we yeah. start with people that are deeply broken? Yeah, you tell them to stop trying. Hmm. Uh, and now in order to help them, then you have, you have to try to uh, give them the vision of God. And, of course, they've read the Bible and they've done all sorts of things, but they perhaps have not spent any time sitting in the presence of God. Hmm. I remember a man that uh, picked me up at the airport in St. Louis and took me somewhere over in Illinois, telling me as we drove how his life and ministry and family had been saved by the fact that he began to go into his sanctuary and sit in the front bench for hours. Hmm. Now, again, I don't, I'm sure the Lord led him and all that. He didn't have any theory. You don't really have to have a theory. But you have to find a way of acknowledging God. And once you do that, then you will be able to stop carrying the impossible burdens. And your life will be sufficiently rich that you don't have to uh, have some sort of sexual thing or power thing or money thing. Um, and see, these, those things always happen out of a sense of terrible deficiency, in my opinion, mm -hmm. whatever that's worth. Mm -hmm. They always happen out of, and people get to saying, well, you know, I deserve it. I deserve it. I've uh, known of ministers who settled on some woman in their congregation and just went to her and told her that. That it was God's will. Hmm. Uh, now, unfortunately, women often, or men, don't have enough sense to understand that whatever is God's will, that ain't it. So, because of the weakness of the teaching and fellowship and everything, then all these things start to happen, or the money thing, or the power thing. And uh, you, um, a person who is enslaved to something like that is acting out of deficiency. Their life is so impoverished. And they may have the idea that their life is impoverished because God has demanded that of them. And then all the crazy thinking about, well, what he owes me and what his will is for me and so on gets going. That's just a hopeless mess. But it all comes out of the sense of deficiency and that can only be remedied by bringing God before you adequately. Paul, uh, David, or the psalmist in Psalm 16, 8 says, I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. Hmm. I shall not be moved. And that's the secret. Set the Lord always before you. But you've got to have the right Lord. Yeah. <laughs> as opposed to defining the yeah. Lord as some object of our, our, no, our desire. Like, 
I like there's out here in California they have this little western exterminator sign which is, shows a man in a top hat with a hammer and a bug down there and he's looking at that bug ready to bring the hammer down that's many people's image of God huh. just like the little western exterminator man huh. and of course that's not going to help you as you quote Psalm 16 uh, just by way of immediate disclosure. There's something inside of me that's really drawn to everything you're saying, and I've begun to taste of some of these disciplines and the transformation that comes from there. That's good stuff. And then the other part, and the other part says, and I imagine this might be a voice that many people hear, it mm -hmm. can't be that simple. It can't be that simple. To just it, Yeah, <laughs> it, it is that simple, but then you have to do it. Right. 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 And doing it isn't simple. So, for example, learning, for example, to fast or spend time in solitude and what that, you, you go through quite a deal with that. And you're, you learn a lot about your body and how it has taken control of your mind and, uh, and then how your will has perhaps sold out to desire. And so what you discover is there's a lot of stuff there that and it takes a little time to work that through. And brings you right back to grace. Well, it brings you grace you can count on. See, grace, the power of the Word, and the Holy Spirit you can count on. If God is pleased or whatever, there may be an individual or two that you can also come to count on. That will help a lot. But the stuff that Bill was talking about, about coming out of hiding and revealing yourself and so on, hmm. that that takes a little time too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you do have to find someone who's trustworthy and who knows how to handle it. Mm -hmm. And um, so it is It is very simple in conception. See, and then, but this is where we need to have a fellowship that is teaching and practicing these things. Mm -hmm. And that just helps wonderfully. And you look at how much is said in the New Testament about imitating your leaders, or Paul, or others, imitate me. You know, Jesus. One of the greatest moments in my life was uh, reading the first section of the Imitation of Christ, mm. where it is quoted from John's Gospel. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of light. Mm. Wow where I was coming from. I'd read that hundreds of times. Hmm. But it never occurred to me that you could actually do that. Hmm. <laughs> it, it strikes me that many people think that, that these are lofty, idealistic right. kinds of things to do and disciplines, right. but that it's, it's just not doable, it's not practical. Well, actually, that's very common. Mm -hmm. uh, and I won't mention any current authors by name because I don't want to give them bad time, but you will find that often presented. Um, the idea that you, you, your choice is uh, hopeless striving to do what Jesus said, or brokenness. Hmm. That's your only way to go. I've fallen into that trap. Yeah. And what that misses is the way of growth through discipline. And I like to call it indirection, because when you, when you begin to deal with the things in your life, not by trying not to do them or do them, as the case may be, but by 
thinking about where they come from and changing that, then you find that suddenly things begin to work. Hmm. And that's the method I call indirection. Indirection. The, uh, you know, the, the, uh, if you try to do the Ten Commandments, you will never do them. But if you try to become the kind of person who does them, there's some hope. Hmm. You have to change the inner conditions of behavior if you want to change the behavior. The failure of the Pharisee is to just try to do the behavior. Hmm. And as Jesus said, the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. And that's because they, they want to behave, but they can't. And that's all they know. Yeah. And so the only recourse then is to fake it somehow. And that idea of, of moving <laughs> from, the, from the outside uh, compliance to the law or attempting to do that and the ceaseless striving to the interior, mm -hmm. that's something that's a supernatural work. And that brings up this tension between grace and uh, our own effort. Yeah, well, it is a supernatural work, but if you don't do something, it won't happen. Like when Jesus says in, in John 15, without me you can do nothing, it's also true that if you do nothing, it will be without him. Hmm. So the question is, how do you go about it? Now, hmm. the first step here is to realize that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. Hmm. Effort is action. Earning is attitude. Okay. So now, most, many people have trouble with this issue that you're mentioning mm -hmm. um, because they think, well, if I, if I tried to do something, I, why should I fast? Why should I memorize scripture? Is it, well, God wants you to, is that it? Uh, or is there something else going on here? See, disciplines are things that you can engage in to close with the grace and activity of God. Fasting, what are you doing when you're fasting? Well, you're aligning yourself with the reality of God to nourish you by his word. Now, can he do that without you fasting? Yeah, but the question is, how does it usually work? And one of the things that people fool themselves with is talking about things God can do. But what we need to do is realize what he usually does. Huh. And uh, so learning about things that make a difference, mm -hmm. you know. Um, one of my favorite quotes uh, is in Renovation of the Heart, and you start one of the chapters by saying, here's a, a strange but hopeful idea, that the amazing thing about the human being is that it is capable of restoration, and restoration that's more magnificent because it's been ruined. Mm -hmm. That, that's something that I'd like you to unpack. The triumph of God in the ruined soul exposes both the greatness of the human being and the greatness of God uh, in a way that is greater than if we had never sinned. What I think of in relation to that quote is the idea that you get a more glorious picture of God's heart 
uh, after That's the crucifixion exactly right. and resurrection yes. and, and Jesus' ruin. Um, That's right, but you see, you also get a greater picture of the worth of the human. Mm. And that's, I'm sure that God was not taken by surprise by sin. Uh, I'm sure that if we had not sinned, perhaps he would have found a way to work out the maximum revelation of his glory in human beings. But it didn't work that way. And in any case, uh, if you just think about human life in terms of innocence, you realize that innocence, while it is beautiful, is not the greatest thing you could imagine. Hmm. Hmm. And uh, so that's why I say that. And um, I think we see it in smaller measure in the stories we like to tell ourselves in fiction and real life about the Oh, the struggles that people overcome. The beauty of redemption. Beauty of redemption and uh, actually uh, danger, failure, success is a kind of structure of the drama of human life that you get in the worst of television series and the greatest of novels. <laughs> so. Final question, what, what resources, books, readings have you found helpful in the last couple of years in your own living in kingdom reality with God? Well, if you're referring to books that have appeared in the last couple of years, I wouldn't Or, be or books from centuries ago. No, <laughs> uh, I mean, there are very few books that I recommend to everyone. One is The Imitation of Christ. Hmm. It's an absolutely indispensable book for a person who is trying to engage in uh, personal growth and Christ-likeness as well as minister to others. Now, it, it's not the Bible, and it has some things in it that uh, uh, various uh, Protestants have expurgated, like John Wesley published a pattern of version of it called The Christian's Pattern, but it's a great, great book. And another one I would mention is uh, William Law's Serious Call to a Devout and Holy Life. Hmm. Uh, it is, uh, again, I mean, you. these are books that if you're not committed to having your life change, you'll never read. Mm-hmm. Uh, a slightly more uh, exciting one is Finney's Revival Lectures. Hmm. Now they'll set your hair on fire. <laughs> yeah. But we'll take but some more. come out different. Yeah. And that'll be worth it. Right. And, and actually, I mean, there's just a whole lot of literature. I mean, the Wesleys, their hymns and their writings and all of that, they were certainly... Uh, I have profited immensely from Wesley. Mm. And, um, and people like uh, Richard Foster and others have, have done a lot of work in trying to revive some of those authors from yes, centuries ago. they have indeed. I would like to thank you for your time, uh, for your vocation, and for your, mm. your presence here today. So you're bless you, you Dr. Dallas Willard. Thank you. I accept it. 
You've been listening to another episode of Restoring the Soul. Learn more about how we cultivate freedom and wholeness of heart at restoringthesoul.com. Thank you.